Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Today we're finishing the series that we've been doing. It's been a very small, short series, Sabbath as a Way of Life. It's week three. And I think that Sabbath as a Way of Life is such an appealing message to the outside world because our world knows no Sabbath. They know no rest. We, we grind. We work. But to have that deep soul rest that Jesus talks about is so important and amazing for us. And today's passage that we're coming to is kind of the theme passage for this entire series, which has been saying, hey, the goal isn't just to get you to take a day off. Taking a day off is good, but the goal is to get you to experience the deep rest of the soul that Jesus offers. Do you guys believe that, church, that Jesus offers you a deep rest in your souls? Oh, I long for that, right? It's what we all need. That's what we all need. He says it so plainly. Come to me. Jesus speaking. Church, Jesus saying to you today, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest is not just this thing that we do on a Sunday, but it's the status of our hearts in Jesus that He gives us rest. It's a gift from Him. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you've been around the church for a little while, you're familiar with this passage. And I don't think that that means that it should be boring to you, though. I think that if you are someone who loves the gospel, if you're someone who's experienced the truth of Jesus, that this passage really can't be boring to you, no matter how many times you've heard it preached, no no matter how many times you've read it, that this is just one of those passages that is sweet to savor. It is just one that is good to enjoy. The gospel is not something that we just need at the beginning of our Christian lives, but the gospel is something that we need to enjoy. You see, our Christian lives are built on this foundation of the good news of Jesus, but then we actually grow in our Christian lives through the gospel. We, we grow by the more we believe this. And honestly, I can't find many passages where Jesus describes the heart of Christianity better than right here. So if Christianity is something that you're exploring, that you're not quite committed 100% to, or if it's something that you've just kind of assumed to be true, but you haven't really explored it much yourself, look right here. Because this is straight from the horse's mouth. Jesus describing what it means to be a Christian. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And not only that, but Jesus describing who he is himself. All kinds of people have different ideas about who Jesus is. If you watch Fox News versus CNN, you're going to get a different idea of who Jesus is based upon the people that they have commentating on it. 
But who is Jesus? Let's look at him. Let's look at what he says. This passage is actually quite amazing because it's the only passage in the entire Bible where Jesus describes who he is, what his heart is like. Oftentimes we talk about what Jesus has done for us, but this passage, Jesus actually says, this is what I'm like. And friends, we've done a disservice to our churches by not talking about what Jesus is like. And so today as we explore this passage, as we think about who Jesus is, as we answer some of these preconceived notions of, who, of what Christianity is. I mean, you might come to Christianity with this idea that Christianity is harsh, that it's strict. You might come to Christianity with this preconceived notion that Christianity is boring. You might come with this preconceived notion that Christianity is just something that people believe to make themselves feel better. But church, this passage gets to the heart of what we believe and why we believe it. In these three short verses, Jesus gives such a fantastic summary of his own heart and the heart of Christianity. So three points today. The first point is, who needs Jesus? The second point is, what is Jesus like? And the third point is, what does Jesus offer? Who needs Jesus? What's he like? And what does he offer? Let's dive in. Who needs Jesus? I have a a truth. You know, I like to get up here and share profound truths with you. I have one that's not particularly profound, but it's true. Are you guys ready for that? You might be like, that sounds like all the things that you share. But I have one that I'm willing to admit today is not that profound. Uh, But it's true. People who don't think they need Jesus don't go looking for Jesus. That's it. All right. People who don't think that they need Jesus don't go looking for him. Let me ask you a question. Do you need Jesus? Like, seriously, do you act like it? Do, are you self-sufficient? Or do you really believe that? That not just at the beginning of your Christian life, but every day, that you need Him, that He is there to assist you. Many times we might give lip service to that, but we, our behavior presents something quite different than that. If we want to share our faith with other people, we need to be able to explain to them this simple thing. Why they need Jesus. Because our neighbors (laughs) don't think that they need Jesus. And so we need to be able to explain why you need Jesus. And it can't be the explanation that goes like this. We can't say, well, you need Jesus because you need friends. Because I'll tell you something, my neighbors have friends. And we can't have an explanation that just gives lip service to what Jesus has to offer. But we have to really experience our need for Jesus and be able to articulate that to others. So who does Jesus say? What kind of people need him? And this is what he says, verse 28. Come to me. This is an invitation. Come to me. And then he says, who? 
all you who are weary and heavy laden. All you who are weary and heavy laden. Not only are these the only people who need Jesus, these are the only people who Jesus is calling. These are the ones that he is calling to himself, those who are weary and heavy laden. That is all of us. But you need to be able to understand why that is all of us. Why is that all of us? You never go to Him or grow in your relationship with Him unless you realize this simple truth. That you are weary and heavy laden. There is a direct relationship between your understanding of your weary heart and how heavy laden it is and your love for Jesus, and your joy in the gospel. Direct correlation between understanding how much you need Him and how much joy you have in coming to Him. Because if Jesus says, if, if I'm outside and it is very, very cold and someone pulls around in an ice cream truck, I'm not going to have very much joy in going to the ice cream truck. But if it's 115 degrees outside, I'm... I'm like running towards the ice cream truck. Okay, throw the shoes, the the sandals are going away. I'm taking a beeline to the ice cream truck. And it's much the same way. If you understand that your heart is heavy, laden, weary with sin, you will go running to Jesus because that's what he invites. He says, come to me when you are weary and heavy laden. It's like miracle miracle grow for the soul. A few years ago, um, a journalist named Derek Thompson wrote an article in The Atlantic called Three Theories for Why You Have No Time. And in the article, he proposes this thought experiment. This is what he says. He says, imagine that you came into the possession of a magical set of technologies that would expedite every single part of your job. (laughs) Sounds nice. What would you do with extra time? Maybe pick up a new hobby or have more children or or learn to luxuriate in an additional leisure. But what if I told you that you wouldn't do any of those things? You would just work the exact same amount of time as before. I can't prove this because I don't know you. What I do know is that something remarkably similar to my hypothetical happened in the United States economy in the 20th century. Not in factories or in modern offices, offices, but inside American homes. And what he goes on to tell is about how in a 1900 home, that wasn't that different than a 1500 home. They had no electricity, they had no plumbing. Now we have pipes that bring water into our home instead of bringing it in ourselves. We have refrigerators and freezers and electric irons and vacuum cleaners and dishwashers. All of these things to make our homes easier, to expedite our daily tasks. And, but did any of this make us less busy? No. Because we just found more things to work on. We just raised our standards. Thompson goes on in the article, I love this quote, he says, he calls us workists, like work, I-S-T-S, workists, who have made a secular religion out of the pursuit of status and professional fulfillment. 
Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. What drives us to be this workist? What drives us to work like this, to be busy like this? Friends, I don't want to just get up here and be like, you're really busy, so you need Jesus. What I want to do is peel back the layers just a little bit, help you to see there is a work behind the work. There is a reason why you are so busy. There is a reason why we just take on more and more. I want you to see your own heart and how your own heart is desperate to prove something. What's behind the work? What is the motivation for the work? Jesus knows it. And it's this, a restless heart. A restless heart. You find, both restless, you find a restless heart in both religion and irreligion. In religion, we say, I have to prove myself. I'm going to go out there and work hard so that no one can think that I'm not doing everything I could so that I can be a success, so that I can uh, prove myself to a family member, so that I can prove myself to myself, so that I will look good in front of others. I need to prove that I'm enough. If I could just do enough, I'll work so hard, I'll show them all. Irreligion, on the other hand, would say, if I just do enough, I'll finally satisfy the longings that are in my heart. So whether that be partying or sex or drugs or whatever it is, these longings in my heart, if I can just find enough stuff to satisfy them, if I can just do enough extracurricular activities, not to prove that I'm enough, but to have enough myself, to, to, if I can just get enough money, I could enjoy all of it. My life will finally be enjoyable. And with all of that, there comes just this sense of spiritual weariness, right? We know, friends, that we're not doing enough. You could never do enough. And that is because you're not perfect. Now, we all would acknowledge that we're not perfect, but all of us are still driving towards this personal idea of what perfection is. And that's why we labor and we're heavy laden. That's the work behind the work. The work that says, I need to prove myself. I need to do enough. And I love how Augustine says it in Confessions. And he says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our heart is restless until it rests in you. I know in my own heart that I'm in this place. And I know that everyone else here, I see a room full of people who are desperately trying to prove to each other and to themselves that they're good enough. Will you just accept me for who I am? Am I good enough for this church? Am I good enough for this job? I see people desperate to prove that they are good enough in a variety of different ways. Is my art good enough? My finances, my career. There's a driving desire in all of us to prove ourselves, but here's good news for you. You aren't. You aren't. You're not. You're not good enough. You know, if I was a, a self-esteem coach, I would be fired right now. That's not the message that you want to hear. You, the message that we often want to hear is, you are good enough. You are. You're good enough. But listen, you're not. 
And you know you're not. I'm not going to fool you and pretend like you are. You're not. And neither am I. And that's why Jesus says, come. Come to me. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, who've been trying to prove yourself or satisfy yourself. Come to me and I will give you rest. Now, why would you want to come? I want to talk about who Jesus is. Point two, who is Jesus? Um, once in my life, and only once, I, uh, so, some friends tried to set me up on a blind date. This was before I met Megan, uh, and obviously. And, uh, and they tried to set me up on a, on a blind date. And my first question was, well, what's she like? And as they described her, she was like eight years older than me and had a child. And I was like, eh, I'm 23. I don't think so. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't ready for that type of commitment yet in life. But when we come to Jesus, oftentimes we come to Jesus with this blind date mentality, especially when we try to share Jesus with other people and say, hey, you should go to Jesus. But we don't really describe what Jesus is like. And so we let all these preconceived notions drive who Jesus is. And friends, I am convinced that if our world knew who Jesus is, that their ideas about who we are would change a lot. There's only one place where Jesus says it, and he says it here. He says, verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What's he like? He's gentle and he's lowly. A few years ago, uh, or right, really about a year ago, Dane Ortland wrote a book. We've been giving a lot of them away. It is... Uh, probably the best Christian book, in my opinion, in the past 20 years. So I'm going to give it really high praise. I think it's a very well-written book, a very good book, and a very needed book. And I'm going to borrow from it for just a minute, because the book's called Gentle and Lowly, and Jesus is saying that he is gentle and lowly. So what does that mean? Christians often think of Jesus as being judgmental and harsh. And the, the writer, Dane Ortland, he says that we imagine Jesus approaching us like a young boy approaches a slug for the first time with his face all crinkled up to touch it. But that's not a very good description of Jesus. Jesus is gentle and lowly. In the one place where the Bible tells us what Jesus is like, we're not told that he is austere and demanding in heart. We are not told that he is exalted and dignified in heart. We are not even told that he is joyful and generous in heart. We are told that he is gentle and lowly. And so what does it mean to be gentle and lowly? Well, what do those words mean? The, the Greek word for gentle is only used three times in the New Testament. And this, in this place it's used as gentle. In another place it's interpreted as meek. And in another place it's interpreted as humble. And so what does that mean? It means that Jesus is not trigger happy. It means that he's not harsh or reactionary or easily exasperated. The posture that is most natural to Jesus is not a pointed finger but open arms. Maybe pointed fingers and open arms? Lowly. And it's, it's interesting because this word lowly used a similar number of times in the New Testament it also kind of means humble. When you look in James, when he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the 
humble, you could say lowly. And so I find it interesting that in the only place where Jesus describes his own heart, he says, for I am humble and humble of heart. Isn't that good? We should note that Jesus isn't this way to everyone indiscriminately. Just before this passage, when you look here, he gives woe to unrepentant cities. <laughs> and so he is strong and bold with those who are non-repentant, with those who resist to come after him. But for those who are weary and heavy laden, who is he is saying, come to me, he is gentle and lowly. And so, question for you today, how do you know that you are going to Jesus? How do you know that you are coming to Him? Because He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, we're going to get to that in a second, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. So, He says, learn from me. So when you come to Him, you are learning from Him, and how should that be shaping you? How do you know that you've come to Him? Well, maybe your heart should be being shaped into the shape of Jesus' heart, which means that your heart becomes gentle and lowly, which means you become humble and humble. It's hard. We need Him. Because I can't become... I, I say that and I think I need to be more humble. That's the immediate reaction in my mind. People will accept me more as a pastor if I'm more humble. I need to be more humble. But right then, I'm snapping back into religion. I'm snapping back into moralism, saying, I just need to be more humble. I need to do it so that I can prove myself to you. No, I need, I need Jesus. i got to come to Him. Because that's not something that will be instilled in me. Yes, I do need to be more humble. And yes, it is glorifying to God if I just follow Him in that. But the best way to do that is for my heart to desire Christ above all things, and not just your approval. So what does Jesus offer? He says, come to me, and I will give you rest. Point three, what does he offer? Jesus is offering you rest. He's offering rest for your souls. You see, Christianity is not just a set of morals for you to embrace, but Christianity is an offer of deep soul rest. Oftentimes we treat it just as another religion, as fair as any other religion. You could choose to be Islamic, or you could choose to be Hindu, or you could choose to be Christian. But that's not what Christianity is about. It's not just a set of morals that we live by. Christianity is an offer of deep soul rest that Jesus presents us. And how does he offer it? But he offers it using a yoke. Now, a yoke is not something that we see very often in, in uh, 2021 Somerville, but a yoke is a large beam that was placed on to two different oxen or cows to do hard, laborious work in a field. And so I find it really unique that Jesus says, come to me, take on my yoke. So it's like his head is in one of these circles and our head is in the other. And it's this tool of labor. And he's saying, for my yoke is easy. This tool of labor actually is easy. and My burden is light. This tool of labor is a burden. That's what it is. An ox is a beast of burden. And Jesus says, when you take my yoke upon you, 
My burden is light. My burden is light. That's what he says. He gives us rest from the work behind the work. He gives us rest from this constant need to prove ourselves because we are yoked up with Jesus. We are united with Him. We are found in Him. So when we are hidden in Christ, His righteousness becomes our righteousness. It's as if you, jo- you joined a pickup basketball game with LeBron James on your team. His righteousness in basketball became mine and we're going to win this game. You are weary and heavy laden because you're constantly trying to prove yourself and you cannot possibly do all the things that you know in your heart that you ought to be doing. But Jesus is your righteousness. He is the righteousness that you long for. It's actually the desire of your heart is what he offers. And when you come to him, you no longer have to prove yourself because you're proven righteous in him. God loves you like he loves Jesus. When you're tempted to go down that spiral of self-hatred, and we've all been there, whether it been, it can be something as small as like, I ate too much dessert, and we go through this spiral of self-hatred. I'll never be good enough. We go down that line. I ate too much dessert. Now I'm going to gain weight. Then I'm going to look unpleasing, and I'm never going to be good enough. But Jesus says, you aren't good enough. That is true. But there's a There's an off-ramp of this spiral of destruction, which is you're loved completely in Christ. And that he is inviting you to come to him and receive rest from the spirals of destruction that we all go through day in and day out. One song that we sing here sometimes says that it's an inbred feedback loop. It's such a great vivid imagery that we have this inbred feedback loop where we just, we're just filling ourselves with me. <laughs> and instead, he says, come to me, go to Jesus. Oftentimes, we don't think that our Christianity is this way. I had one pastor friend describe it this way. If your version of Christianity is more of a burden than a light load, then it's probably not biblical Christianity. How many friends do we have who believe that? Believe that Christianity is a heavy burden to bear. Yes, Jesus says, pick up your cross. Pick up your, your instrument of, uh, of torture. Your instrument of execution and follow Him. But through bearing that, through dying to yourself, you actually receive rest in your souls. You get to enjoy the thing that Jesus provides. It's one of those wonderful paradoxes that we have in the Scripture. To wrap things up, I want to leave you with one question. And it's a question we've asked often throughout the pandemic. And it's this question, who are you becoming? Who are you becoming, church? Are you becoming more stern, harsh, workaholic? Or are you becoming more humble, gently, gentle, and lowly? And let me give you another thing. You are becoming that which you worship. You are becoming that which you worship. And Jesus 
is kind. And he's soft with you. And he cares for you. And if you worship him, you'll be that kind of person. And you will have that kind of culture in our church. Oh, I long for it. I, I want it so much. For we're not stern and harsh with one another. You see, if you worship productivity, you'll be that. Because anything that gets in the way of your productivity, you need to, you need to remove that. But if you worship Christ, you'll be shaped like Him. Is your heart busy and frantic, church? A restless heart will re- lead to a restless life. But Jesus offers you rest for your souls. Jesus gives us this image that one day in the new heavens and the new earth, we get to sit at the marriage feast of the Lamb and enjoy a meal with Him. And there'll be good food and good drink. And there'll be no time to worry about. That it'll keep going on and on and that every moment will be better than, better than the last. And that's what we long for. We long for that kind of rest can't think of anything more restful. And he invites us to participate in a meal every week to remind us that that is the rest that we're going toward. This life is full of toil. It is full of hardship, but we long for the day when we will have that ultimate rest in our soul. So in just a moment, we'll take the communion meal. So church, let's stand and let's pray as we enjoy, as we prepare for this communion meal. God, as we come to you with this meal, we ask that you will be shaping us into the image of your Son and helping us to be gentle and lowly as you were gentle and lowly with us. And even now, as people question, am I good enough for this meal? Help them to feel the peace of Christ, which transcends all understanding, and to enjoy it. God, may our hearts be filled with grace and wonder at what you've done for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.